know there's a lot of controversy about the show Lost, how it ended, how people oh, feel wow. about its legacy, but I do think it's universally agreed, however you feel about the ending, that the fifth episode of the fourth season, The Constant, is not just the greatest episode of the series, but one of the greatest episodes of TV of all time. And that episode just would not work without the performance of Henry Ian Cusick as Desmond Hume. And we're going to talk about Desmond for the next half hour here in the Doom Room. I'm Alex. Wow, this is the most understated intro we've ever done. Honestly, um, usually uh, that was very different than what it usually is like, because usually it's like riding down on a log flume. Boom, boom, you're in the Zoom Room. Doom Room, Justin here. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about Doom Patrol Season 4, Episode 5, Youth Patrol. Woo-hoo! So if you haven't checked it out on HBO Max, do go check it out because we're going to get into spoilers. But broad plot here. Will underground. Is- underground. We got the underground. Got Did the we? underground back a little bit briefly. Not all of them. I'm sure we'll get no. into that in a second. But due to Rita losing her immortality, she accidentally causes a spell that sends everybody, typical Doom Patrol fashion, not exactly making them younger, but Benjamin them, buttoned it. Well, it makes them mentally younger and kind of physically younger. And the rules are inexact, but that's purposeful for ridiculousness. They end up taking a cross-country journey to break the spell, and it leads to some twists that ties into the overall thrust of the series. I'll just say this up front. This is my favorite episode of the season so far, and maybe one of my favorite episodes of Doom Patrol of all time. Wow! <laughs> what a what a big what a big swing you're taking here. I mean, I agree. This was my favorite episode of this season as well. Agreed. Great. <laughs> and the second part, guys? No. Oh wow! <laughs> no, <laughs> Alex. No. The right, whole sorry. series. What are you crazy? And maybe. I mean, it's on par with I would say the constant, which is the greatest episode of Lost of all time, and one of the greatest oh. episodes of TV of all time. What are you in you a know, Lost rewatch right now? I don't, don't want to. I don't want to downplay the actress who played Penny. Who was that? Uh, was that Elizabeth Mitchell? It was not Elizabeth. I don't know. Mitchell. Read the tattoo on your inner bicep. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. On. You guys have seen the show Prison That's Break, right? Bicep, Where he's like. Way. I don't know what my muscles or bones are. Pete, wow. come on, stop wow. testing me. Unless it rhymes with doom, I don't know what it is. <laughs> At the end of this podcast, Alex is going to take his temperature and it's going to be like 107. Because <laughs> <laughs> this dude is ill. Uh, um, I, I this will isn't say, Penny's I have my excuse. I did spend all night last night puking in the bathroom. Oh, wow. wow. Save Don't it for, take save it for 20 minutes ago. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> Leave them some options. Also, let me say, rhyming room with room, baller. <laughs> I did really choice. like this episode though I think it was very strong and very fun There were some great emotional moments throughout And yeah, I don't know I, I think that's part of the reason that it got me Is it? this is one of the weirdest de-aging things I think I've ever seen in TV or movies And purposefully so They basically wanted to put every, They wanted to put Vic in braces They wanted to put Cliff in a cowboy hat What's the most fun way of doing it? Let's not make too many excuses about it or come up with very specific rules. Let's just go for it and do it and do patrol fashion. And I thought that was great. 
Well, I also like it feels like it's emotionally driven as well, where it's how what are some ways we can get people to actually say their feelings and making them teenagers is a good way to do that. And we get a little bit of that throughout the episode. In addition to these fun uh, physical things that we get to see and do, I like that it affects Willoughby completely differently in a funny, (laughs) not explained way. Um, So, like, I agree with you. It feels like there's some writerly stuff happening where they're like, we want to do this fun stuff. But they always find a way to tie it to the emotionality and character arcs that are happening in the show as well. So it just works. Yeah, there you go. And I'll shout this out before I forget to mention it earlier. I think the other thing that really elevated in my mind was the Chef's Kiss Riverdale reference that happened about 10 yep. minutes before the end. That oh, was just great. You know we clocked it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Come I mentioned on. for anybody who's listening to the podcast who maybe didn't pick up on it because there's a couple of layers here. So when young... Uh, Jane and young Willoughby, I think it is, the two of them together confront Cliff, who's in the middle of this pool party. He's going a little nuts and they're like, what is wrong with you? Why are you being so weird? And he says, I'm weird. Have you ever seen me without this oven bit? That's weird. That is pretty much line for line, the classic Jughead I'm a weirdo, I wear a hat speech from the first season of Riverdale, I think. I believe it's the first season. Uh, I want to say it's the second, maybe, but... Mm, Might be the second. Uh, But the other layer here is this episode was written by frequent Doom Patrol writer and producer Shoshana Shachi. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. And she is married to Brian E. Patterson, the guy who wrote that speech, or at least wrote that episode back in the day. So there's a fun little tie there, probably ribbing him a little bit about the speech. We actually interviewed him on our Riverdale podcast, and he was like, I don't remember who wrote that. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, Hilarious. Uh, season one, episode 10. There you go. Jughead's birthday, right? Um, uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, Do you guys want to, just real quick, because I'm not feeling well, if we could transition into talking about Riverdale, that's much more yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Alex that's is trying to turn yeah, it into his comfort zone. Anything yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. No, you got to stay and talk about, you're the most doomed of us currently right now. So Aww. we're going to have to talk about Doom Patrol. Absolutely. Um, but we can walk through the episode if that helps you get a little bit um, of stability in your life, Alex. Well, I do want to start with the underground since Pete already brought it up. So Jane is dealing with the fact that she has a very sexual puzzle that she's dealing with. Uh, and haven't we all been there? Like mm-hmm. a fairy? When a puzzle winks at you, that's a sexual, that's a puzzle that's <laughs> flirting with you right there. Yeah, Hello. It's a little extra, but Ravenburger in particular, they make those really good winky pieces that are like, oh, yeah, it's on. Alex dropping some puzzle <laughs> manufacturer knowledge. I really like well, puzzles. But no, you're a puzzle guy. Not surprising. Of, yeah, look, he's pointing to a wall of puzzles behind him. No, there's a literal puzzle, a pile of puzzles behind me. So. If you love puzzles, though, when was the last puzzle you did? It was two days ago. Nice. Pete, when was the last puzzle you did? The 80s? What What was the I did Don't a puzzle say- 45 minutes ago. So in your face, Alex, with my wow. daughter, she was like, can we do this puzzle? And I said, yes. Don't just wow. say puzzle. Tell us what it was. Like, what was the, was it a oh, I've never solved. What? I've never solved a puzzle. <laughs> when you say a puzzle, you mean cut up pieces of paper just lying on the floor, right? And you try to get yeah. them back together. You're like, that's daddy's work. Yeah. <laughs> the puzzle of life. I try to put my life back together based on the de- decisions I've made. It wow. was a thousand-piece Marvel villainous puzzle based on Cinderella. So there you what? go. Oh, wow. That's not that's, real. Yeah, that's it's also real. complicated. There's, There's too many crossovers in that. What I would know, that even be? It's So it was uh, 
It came with this piece for Marvel Villainous, which is a board game. So that was the villainous part. And then otherwise, it was just like a Cinderella puzzle focusing on Lady Tremaine and the stepsisters. And Cinderella kind of shoved into the background of it. Okay, Why are we talking sorry. about this yeah, again? I'm sorry I asked. I'm yeah, sorry. Can I'm we asked. get back and talk about the underground? Because you've been asking for this all season long. And we finally got in the midst of Jane having sexy puzzle time. Uh, she got sent to the underground, which she thought was because of that. It was not. We're, we're fast-forwarding past the key fun moment. Uh, it, Jane lights up first. You know what I mean? She takes a little puff first, and then, mm. you know what I mean? And, Let's not. And she's smoking a classic bowl. That's a classic yeah, old school. Is. Like, the weed looked, like, pretty dry. I was like, <laughs> I've seen that image in my hand before. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, and I'll also mention, and I know you guys are going to hate this because you hate when I bring up information about things, but I did interview Mm -hmm. Diane Guerrero for work, and she talked a little bit about this scene in particular, as well as the previous scene where the Shelly fog comes out of the puzzle and she has an orgasm. And the she said she was very surprised about this because coming in at season one, because Jane and by extension Kay is dealing with sexual assault, she felt like, okay, I've never done a sex scene. This is off the table. This is not anything that's ever going to happen. So this is the first time she she said she has ever done anything like this in anything that she's ever done. Oh, wow. We watched Encanto. You know, that's definitely true. There's not a lot of sexy scenes in Encanto. <laughs> What's up, Justin? <laughs> no, that's, I got to say you're accurate. Weird choice Thanks. of reference. But the Encanto puzzle's pretty sexual, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah. It winked at me. Anyway, so it's, it, it's interesting to think about, like, four seasons in, what it is like to be thrust into the situation. And I think she channels those emotions very effectively when she is thrown down to the underground is like, uh, I wasn't doing anything. What are you talking yeah. about? And that was hysterical. And they were all like, what? And she was like, well, huh, what? That was well, just it's very such much a fun. A, it's very much a like parents catch you masturbating moment for her. And it's just in the lens of Jane, it's like her secret split personality underground is what, is is catching her. She's catching herself, technically. It sounds um, like I, you're speaking from personal experience, and I don't want to hear the story. Um, that's a, it's just a, it's a cultural experience, Pete. Oh, okay. Um, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, nope. But I, I really like the way that this really lined up with sort of the teen, uh, the youth exploration here. And you hear a line from Jane later where she's like, you know, I never really had a, a – a teenage. I was never like this. And the, that really matched in such a great way. This really felt like a strong, just Jane episode in general. Agree. Now, Pete, you're really dancing around this, though. We got the underground back. You've been asking for Chainsaw Nun. We got to see Chainsaw Nun. We did not see Hammerhead there. Oh, so mm. disappointing. Uh, but man, the Chainsaw Nun, uh, small, but uh, just amazing moment. Um, and I was so happy that we got it. Um, it was just so nice to be back in the underground a little bit uh, to kind of get that because it, it, you know, Jane's been dealing with a lot. And we've kind of ignored that part. So it was just such a nice uh place to be back to to see all these characters again it sucks we didn't see a lot of uh all all of them or some you know hammerhead one of the fan faves uh but chainsaw nun was uh, represented nicely and let me say at this point in the episode we had a a bowl um we had the underground and then the next scene cliff is working on a car i was i literally was like did pete Right, this episode? <laughs> this is truly too much Pete. Like, I feel like Pete was going to have a Doom Patrol based orgasm, uh, right, as he was watching this. Yeah, it was glorious. 
What did you think about the car, Pete? I know you've been super into the car. Uh, it's, it was such a, first off, amazing gesture by Madame Rouge to uh, uh, to do, set this all up. So I was just super, super into it. Um, we got to kind of get inside her head a lot to, and, and find out what she's been kind of dealing with. And the, her and Rita had, you know, later on in the episode, some really touching conversations. But... Yeah, to kind of gift Cliff this way was was very moving, and um, I was I was super excited about it. I really hope we get more episodes of Cliff just working on the car. You know, a lot yeah, of different car shots, season or series of that. Yeah, um, do, you, yeah. do you wish Pete that the um, the car had been spilled a little bit of the the youth spell on it? And it had grown into like a micro machine or whatever. Oh, nice reference, dude. Micro machines grow up to be Hot Wheels and then eventually real cars, right? Exactly. That's, that's what exactly I've been how wa- works. Yeah, I've been yeah. watering this micro machine for the last 20 <laughs> no, years. So when not... it turns into a fucking no. car. Sorry, real quick. Have you been watering your kids as well? Because <laughs> I don't know, man. How else do you get stuff grow. to grow? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> it's it's, it's working. It's water, working. Fertilizer, and they're good to go, man. Sunshine. Exactly. I'm thinking about sunshine. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Kids need lots of sunshine, fertilizer, and water. Great. Why don't we jump back to Jane's storyline and talk through that a little bit, just because we already started there. I think we can go through the rest of the stuff that happens. I did want to ask you, Justin, you expressed some concern about the amounts of different types of fog that we're currently getting Mm. in the show. We got more types of fog here in terms of a rainbow spell fog that showed up several times. Are you furious about this? Yeah. Well, in later, we got um, a, a fog that came out of Jane's uh, mouth after she was smoking, and it became a whole vision she had. So this season is foggy. It's a foggy it. season. Um, I'm, foggy I don't know what the, come out. That's not, I think, the reference there. I, I'm curious what the uh, deal is. They keep going to the fog well. I mean, I think it makes sense for Jane because she is dealing with her attraction to Shelley, a.k.a. the Fog from the Sisterhood of Dada. But to your point, Justin, we've now had three different types of Fog that are going on. Four Fog. I would say four Fogs. We're up to four Fogs, and I'm going to keep counting. And if if we get up to six Fogs, that's officially too many Fogs, and we have to shut this whole thing down. No. The Rainbow Fog was not particularly subtle in that scene as Jane went to talk to Kay. Um but I did like it anyway. I'm cool with an unsettled reference if they want to go for it. Um, but we got like a bunch of really good conversation with Jane over the course of the episode. Yeah. I thought, I really like this friendship that's developing between her and Vic, which is very surprising. I thought they had yeah. a great conversation by the pool. And then also Jane's conversation with Kay in that dream state yes. or fog state or whatever it was, was beautiful oh, as well. So touching. I, I agree. Like the... The um, thing where she was like, uh, I'm sorry, I uh, took your body, right? And then she says, mm-hmm. it's our body. I thought that was giving Jane legitimacy, I think, is something that she's been chasing from the beginning of the series. And I think to get it here made, I think, was one of the big revelations that made this episode really important, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So good stuff there and also predictably good stuff with Jane and Cliff. Uh, To get back to the weirdo moment, though, Jane and Cliff seem to be in a very good place this season. Why do you think they're fighting towards the end here? Is this more about Cliff? Is it about Jane? Is it about them? Where do you think that's coming from? I think they have some unresolved issues from the early, like they were very close for a while. And Mm -hmm. then 
fully enemies, basically. And I think that hasn't been dealt with um, and hasn't been dealt with is basically the motto of this show. So hopefully <laughs> we'll get them to deal with it um, a little bit. And especially I think Jane's concerned because now that Cliff isn't swearing or everyone else is swearing as much as Cliff, she knows that he's basically not an important character anymore. <laughs> Come on, man! Don't say that. That took you way too long to take that bait. Exactly. <laughs> we did, and let's just and all you conspiracy theorists out there, we did not add any reaction time on that. That took Pete that long to realize that I was dumping. <laughs> I was on looking Cliff. at my notes. I was looking at my notes of the episode. And you're like, wait a second. What's that? What's wait, that asshole saying? What's that Something about Cliff? I'm basically, if Cliff's car can say fuck, it's basically replacing. Oh, stop. Let's talk about Cliff then, because over the course of the episode, I feel like he almost suffers the biggest emotional aggression. Everybody else comes to these emotional catharses throughout the episode. But Cliff, he's got this car now that's reminding him of his race car days. He's got a cowboy hat. He's going to parties. Everybody loves him. Uh, what is the direction of Cliff after this? Like, where does this take him? Where is this on his journey? Because like I was saying before, and like you were getting at uh, Justin, this is an enormous step back for him. So where does that put him and where does he need to go to go forward? Well, I think it's one of those things where, you know, with the, his kind of freak out where he yells that I, he is not doing well it's, you know, it's a little bit of a cry for help, like somebody I need to kind of unload a little bit and kind of talk about the fact that he's still shook from his first touch being like the inside of somebody's skull. So I think it's just one of those things of like, he needs to kind of vent a little bit. You know, it was nice that he was able to at least have a couple moments of a party. Uh, but yeah, he he needs Jane. He needs somebody that he can kind of like connect with, confide in, and kind of get some of this uh, stuff he's carrying around with off his uh, metal chest. He just seems like the character who is not able to deal with himself um like he's the worst at it everyone else is making some steps forward and seems to at least be interested in themselves he is just interested in only whatever's right in front of him in this case like having a party being young uh and keeping his oven mitt on and it just feels like he's not interested in being better yeah, pretty much. Uh, why don't we talk about Vic? There's not a ton of Vic in this episode, but there are some fun bits throughout as he is clearly a huge nerd, even though he was a football star when he was a teen. But I almost feel like the biggest moment, we mentioned the conversation with Jane that I think was a little more about Jane, in my opinion. But the biggest moment really is towards the end when... Oh. He's regressed to his boyhood self and goes is crying and goes back to see his friend and connect with him. That was a really surprising gut punch to me right at the end of the episode. Yeah, that got me, man. Well, it seems like he needs to, and all of them, the damage that is done to our psyches is often done when we're kids. Like, those are the issues that we carry into our adulthood. It feels like this trip into their youth may be what they need, and maybe Vic can sort of get right with the way he's been feeling and then make that step forward. Same with Madame Rouge, same with uh, Rita a little bit. Um, it feels like they're all able to be young for a second and allow them to deal with some of the truths. And I Vic's the sort of best at it. Um, love the uh, exchange about him having braces. I thought that was um, yeah. fun. 
uh, you got your medal back. And then he says to Jane, would shut up hot topic or whatever like that. Yeah. Was very but I, I do think it for, for Vic, it is one of those things where, you know, we kind of learn about this robotics club, this tight friendship that he had and um, uh, how much it's really eating at him. So I think it was, it was huge reveal that, you know, he went back there, uh, you know, to be with his friend and kind of make things right. And you talk about like being able to move forward. And I'm hoping that conversation that he's going to have with his friend, hopefully, if they can have a conversation after the friend gets over the fact that he's gone back in time and is now younger him, uh, he can then kind of move past it because we do. This team needs a leader, and I'm not sure if it's going to be Madame Rouge or if it's going to be Vic or if it's going to be Rita, but somebody needs to step up um, and kind of keep us pointed in the right direction here because the stakes keep getting higher and higher with each episode, and we need our team to kind of rally here if we're going to make it out alive. I would throw out there, not to disagree with you, I understand what you're saying, but I think Doom Patrol is a team that very expressly does not need a leader and functions best mm. when they don't have a leader. Like, certainly it heads mm. them down some really bad paths because they don't have that organizing principle that you're talking about. But whenever you have somebody like a Chief, like a Rita, like a Madame Rouge, who steps up, they immediately shut down. They're like, well, fine, I don't need to do anything and just sit back there with their arms crossed, cracking jokes, and that's pretty much it. They need each other, and they need each other equally. The problems in my mind come either when somebody steps up to be the leader or when one of them steps out and is like, no, I'm going to go do my own thing and figure out my Mm -hmm. own stuff. They need each other to figure out their stuff. That's how they move forward, in my mind. Yeah, also, every time a leader steps up, they end up doing something selfish. Um, So I think they need to all work together or all be tiny leaders on their own. Hmm. Or uh, some of them needs to be a good enough leader not to be a dick about it and kind of use the talent so f- people feel good about it. I don't think there is that person on this team. Yeah. Well, it could be a couple of them. I don't think so. They've all no, had their I disagree. shot. I disagree. Who do you think? Who do you think is the best leader for the Doom Patrol, Pete? Well, I think if, you know, it's Vic you, can... If Vic can grow enough to it or if Rita can uh, do it in a way that is not annoying, is not kind of driving everybody crazy uh, or, you know, it could be Jane, you know, uh, it could be any of them. But I just think it's one of those things where they have to put the team in front of themselves. Everybody's being selfish right now and working on their own stuff, which is fine. But, um, you know, it's just about finding a way to communicate with people and getting motivated that doesn't trigger them or piss them off, you know? Uh, It is funny to me that you mentioned every character except Larry, because I think we can all agree the one person who should not be leader is Larry. Well, Keeg is a good leader. (laughs) He's getting shit done. (laughs) Keeg's out there handling business. Well, and I in this episode, I was hoping for a big LT app, and we got um, sort of a medium LT app. He's Mm -hmm. off on his own. Mission to get Keeg back, having these visions. He encounters um, Mr. 104. 
Mm-hmm. His um, name is Mohinder from it's Heroes. It's Mohinder, yeah. Mohinder yeah. from Heroes. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, Mr. 104 is actually a character from the Doom Patrol comics. I don't know if you knew that, um, who is able to change. I don't, I don't uh, really care. He's Mohinder from Heroes, and that's what I know him as. So I don't think – I think you got to open your eyes a little bit beyond really. that. Uh, I don't really uh, read the comics, and I don't care about the comics. What I do care about is real superhero stuff like Heroes on NBC. Wow. <laughs> The official wow. title of the show, Heroes on NBC. Wow. Lost, Puzzles, and Heroes. You certainly have a perfect uh, co- content diet, Mr. I think that's. I think that's why you're sick. Mm-hmm. I, you're not supposed to eat the puzzles, right? That's what I'm starting to realize today. You've been eating bad content and puzzles. Okay. The pieces really get stuck in your throat. Let's talk about Larry's storyline since we're starting to get into it. It's clear, I think, that there is a little bit of a romance developing between Mohinder and Larry, but we go back in time and see how they were both essentially trained to be weapons, living weapons, by the Bureau of Normalcy. Uh, Mohinder's power seems to be taking moisture out of people and controlling it. I think that's what was going on. Uh, that's what he does there, but his actual power set um, is to – he can control the um, elements from like the uh, periodic table of elements. Mm. Ooh, his, the name Mr. 104 is actually a reference to the number of elements that were on the table when um, the character was created that's since changed. So sort of an older – he was actually called Mr. 103 first and then Mr. 104 later and now we're up to like 118 I think. Wow. Science, man. Keep Science. this going. Yeah. That's what I love about the periodic table. I keep getting older and they keep adding elements. Oh, my God. All right. So, all right. All right. All right. <laughs> Stop being creepy. Uh, so I think it's one of those things, though. I was really impressed by the reveal of like at first kind of like we saw a uh, trainer uh, kind of in there. And then it was later revealed that Mohinder was the one who was witnessing it. And it was such a cool kind of like switcheroo of like who was in the room and what was actually happening. I really loved the way this episode portrayed that. I thought that was very unique very creative when it feels like keeg is sort of making a match here um i don't know to what because that was the part i was like matchmaker, you know, this guy's matchmaker make me 100 percent. this guy is with dr junior anus so it's not like he is necessarily good he could be tricking larry here but the, just say janice man you don't have to. i believe it's pronounced junior anus <laughs> Uh, canonically in the comics. But the moment when Keeg jumps from uh, Mr. 104 over to uh, LT, that makes me, I trust Keeg. And then right then, Larry gets cut out of reality and sucked in, and um, 104 goes after him. We should also mention the overarching plot that gets revealed by Willoughby here that they're coming for their immortality, which is something that we have talked about on this podcast incessantly over the course of the previous seasons of how are these people so old? How have they lived for so long? And there are various reasons for it. So I love this twist here that the enemy is very expressly going for this thing that beyond all of the other weirdness on the show is one of the plot weirdest things that yeah. doesn't quite jibe. So I'm very curious to see where we end at the end of this, because I feel like they are going to lose their immortality across the board. Yeah. So where does that leave them? Maybe that leaves them more doomed. Probably uh, older. Speaking of the end of the episode, was that rabbit like freaking you guys the fuck out? Or was that just me? I mean, pretty normal rabbit to me. Uh, oh, you think so? Yeah. Every yeah. night, uh, rabbit sucks the puzzle pieces out of my throat that same way. 
saved your life. Yeah, it wasn't here last night. That's why I got sick. Um, Well, I think the... um, it feels like this show wants to sort of eat every uh, piece of every item they've put on the table, uh, to your point, Alex. So, like, the Doom Patrol being sort of timeless, I feels like I feel like is a great thing for them to get into. It's like improvisers doing a show. You want to go after all the stuff that feels fun, follow the fun, the any incongruity is something well, like, well, we have to talk about that because it's already established on the table. Um, Pete, to your point, that rabbit, um, yeah, suspicious rabbit, rabbit who we think thought was not was against Immortus, but we see the rabbit at the end seemingly suck the immortality out of baby Jane, um, maybe for safe, quote unquote, safekeeping, or maybe rabbit is secretly working for Immortus. We'll find out whatever happened to baby Jane next episode, I assume. 100%. Yeah. Um, also, I was surprised the ending, uh, Doom Patrol, not in good shape. They're going to vanish. Yeah, they're just going to become zygotes at the end there. Uh, I do want to take a quick step back and talk about my absolute favorite moment in the episode, which was Jane and Rita talking on the park bench. Yeah, I thought this scene. Rouge Rouge and Rita? Oh, yes, Rouge and Rita, excuse me. Uh, Talking on the park bench. Oh, actually, you know what? Since it was Rouge, I don't care anymore. Never mind. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. It it was a beautiful scene. Uh, Just we've had this thread, not just for this season, but two seasons now about them being friends and then hating each other, particularly this season, Rouge has been trying to figure out how can she reconnect with Rita? What could she possibly do to make her like her again and be friends? And like you were talking about earlier, Justin, in terms of using the metaphorical sense of what it's like to be a teenager, your emotions are more on the surface. You're more able to have these big feelings come out, these big fights with your friends in a way that you and reconcile with your friends in a way that you don't necessarily as you get older. So using that as a vehicle there for first Rouge to reveal, oh yeah, she's getting younger too. She was just scared to make herself look like that. I thought that was cool. And the way Michelle Gomez plays the scene, the way the camera just hangs on her the entire time as well as she's confessing and breaking down to Rita and just begging her and then ultimately pulling the camera back. So we see them, both these teenage girls at the same age hugging each other. I thought it was beautiful. The whole the whole thing was laid out beautifully, acted beautifully. I was really impressed and very touched by that sequence. The, that's the the show takes these like like strange stories and like sort of like wonky ideas and builds them to these great surprising emotional moments and like they just do it. They're so good at doing that. Any other moments from the episode that you guys want to call out? Pete, you've been furiously looking through your notes while Justin's been baiting you. Anything else you want to mention? Well, yeah, I I thought it was just like, you know, kind of classic Doom Patrol where Willoughby shows up and he's like, all right, we need everybody because the shit's hitting the fan. And it's like, well, you know, we're already in the middle of a shit storm uh, uh, with Rita kind of like spilling a spell and uh, fucking this all up in a way that like really makes it harder for them to accomplish their goal. And I thought that was like such a kind of like fun, classic doom patrol thing of like, you know, you got to get here earlier than that. If you're going to talk to us about a, you know, you got to rally the truth before, cause it takes a little bit for this team to get going anywhere. So, um, yeah, I, I, I just like the fact that like Willoughby thinks he can show up and be like, okay, everybody, all right, team meeting, we got to do this, we got to save the world, and it's like, well, you know, first thing, first, uh, 
yeah, we've got like a serious aging problem. Well, and he's so, used to the Niles uh, being able to work through Niles organizational yeah. system, and that's not there anymore. And just to mention, Pete held up his notes a minute ago uh, to the listener, and it just said, mention weed written in chocolate um, <laughs> on a Hershey bar wrapper. So I don't know Dude, what this was a big at. weed episode, man. I mean, you got clo- uh, rain clouds coming out of the smoke. It was just uh, it was magical. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, couple things i would say like um the butts those butts were wiped front to back i thought was really fun um the cool teens that they uh buy beer for and then who take them to the party yassified cyber cowboy describing cliff that way i thought was really funny and then something that i think is maybe a little bit of look to the future we get a mr nobody reference here a character we haven't heard about in a long time Last episode, we speculated that maybe at the end of the day, Mr. Nobody is the big bad at the end of this season slash series. Um, And I think that was a big clue to say that we may be on the right track there. Yeah. One other thing that I wanted to call out, which is very to the side, and I don't know if this was purposeful, but when Willoughby showed up in the back of Cliff's car, people probably know this, but he played Crowley the demon for years on Supernatural, and him popping up there seemed like a very stealth Easter egg to that, because he would Mm. do that, like just show up at the back of the Winchester's car all the time. So, I don't know. Maybe an Easter egg, maybe not. Before we wrap up here... It is an Easter egg. Anything is an Easter egg egg if you use your eyes and look at it. Let's talk about who is most doomed this episode. Justin, who do you think is most doomed? Uh, Well, first off, I maintain that it's you, Alex, um, given the current (laughs) state of affairs. But um, I think... um, Otherwise, uh, I mean, I got to go with Cliff, I think. Um, Cliff uh, is... he's, He's sinking. He's not doing so hot. And I just don't know what's going to happen to him. Pete, what about you? Who's most doomed? Uh, I got to go with um, uh, Jane. Um, uh, you know, I'm worried about this underground. I'm more, you know, she took a nice step forward a little bit with Kay, but I'm just worried about, I, selfishly, I'm worried about uh, uh, being able to see a hammerhead again and uh, what is going to happen to un- the underground. It seems like we're getting less and less of them, and uh, I don't, I don't like where that's going. Yeah, I'm going to say Larry, probably he has been sucked through a portal to who knows where. That's probably big trouble for him. And if you would like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about Doom Patrol, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the the. Uh, show at comic book live on Twitter, <laughs> comic book club live.com for this podcast and more. And now, before we go, a Pete of advice from Pete LePage uh, Youth is fleeting. Okay, enjoy where you are because we only go around once. Wow. Nice. <laughs> oh, oh, there's a oh. uh, Lady Tremaine's face. <laughs> <laughs>